Let's take our Bibles, turn to Hebrews 11. Hebrews chapter 11, our theme is living by faith. But we're going to look at verse 13 this morning. And I think it's interesting how this begins because this series is called Living by Faith. But if you look at the first few words of verse 13, it says, These all died in faith. I don't know about you, but I look at that and say, that's kind of discouraging. I thought we were supposed to live by faith, and yet we've been going through in this chapter. We've seen the stories of Abel, of Enoch, of Noah, of Abraham, of Sarah. And you think there's some great encouragement coming. And the encouragement that the Lord gives us this morning is these all died in faith. Now, I believe there is encouragement there. But at face value, you come across that passage and say, These all died in faith, not having received the promises. Doesn't that almost seem backwards and upside down? These all died in faith, not having received the promises. I mean, aren't we supposed to live by faith? And isn't God going to keep all of his promises? So what is God trying to tell us this morning about these people? They died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embrace them, and confess that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they had come out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country that is and heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Now, in my reading of Scripture, and you may correct me, I might be wrong on this, but I could not find another place where this same type of phrase is used, where it says that God is not ashamed to be their God. We'll talk about that more in a little bit. It says, for he hath prepared for them a city. So we've been talking about this topic of faith now. This is our eighth week to look in Hebrews chapter 11. And we've considered all these different people up to this point. And how do we know that these people had faith? How do we know that Abel had faith and Enoch had faith and Abraham had faith and Noah had faith and Sarah had faith? How do we know that? Well, you say because the Bible says so. Yes, and that's a good reason. That's enough. But ultimately, we might say that we know that they have faith because of what they did, because of the choices that they made, because of the actions that they took, because of their works. That's how we know that they have faith. So how do we demonstrate faith? Well, of course, we'd say in the same way, by our works, by the choices that we make. In fact, in Hebrews 11 and verse 2, the Bible tells us how important faith is for our life. It says, for by it, by faith, the elders obtained a good report. A good report. So if we had to take our report card of faith out this morning and look at what our grade is, what's your grade this morning? You say, well, I don't really know. I think verses 13 to 16 
Give us some principles by which we might do a better job of understanding where we are in our faith journey. And if we are growing, if we are moving forward by faith, or maybe you've come to a place in your life where your faith has stagnated out a little bit. Maybe things have gotten difficult and you have lost some of the focus and the energy and focus that you once had towards your faith. And I think we have some principles here that we can learn from this morning. I wanted to bring some helpers up here this morning to talk about faith, and I'm not going to make actual people sit up here, so we're going to use some imaginary people here this morning, because I didn't want to put anybody too much on the spot and sit up here during the whole service and pick on them and, and point out all of their lack of faith. So we're going to just have two imaginary guys here this morning. Welcome. These are the two newest members of our church. Right here, you can't see them, but sitting in this chair is Bill Jones. Everybody say hi, Bill. All right, Bill's over here, and over here we have Bob Smith. We have Bob Smith in this chair. Everybody say hi, Bob. All right, we're glad to have Bill and Bob with us here today, and they're going to help us represent faith and help us understand someone who has faith or does not have faith. Now, you don't know these guys. They're brand new. They just came. It's their first time here today, and they've come to join the church. And so as we look at them, how do we know if they have faith or not? Well, we can hear their testimony, what they say, but ultimately we won't be able to determine where their faith is until we see how they live. And I would say at the end of it all, you and I really can't know what's in somebody's heart. Only God knows that. And so we can see the fruit of their faith. We can see the outworking of their faith. But their relationship with God is something that they have to know in their own heart. By faith is real or is not. And you may be here this morning. You might be like Bill or Bob. And you may put on a good front but inside, you may say, my faith's not very strong at all. Or maybe from the outside, people would say, well, we're not sure where they're at. But inside, you're walking with God. And I think in these few verses, we'll see some ways that we might better understand Bill. This is Bill, right? I want to make sure I don't get them confused. And this is Bob over here. Make sure and help them know where their faith is at. And by extension, maybe Bill and Bob can help us this morning to know where our faith is today. Look again with me at the first verse that I read in verse 13 where it says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises. I think the first principle that we can learn from this passage of Scripture that helps Bob and Bill to know where their faith is and helps us to know where our faith is this, that faith is demonstrated by trusting in promises that you have not received yet. Would you say that's fair based on the text here? Faith is demonstrated by trusting in promises that you have not received yet. In other words, you've heard the promise, but you haven't received the fruit of that promise. Think back to the people that we've already looked at in this study. Abel, he made a sacrifice, right? But he made a sacrifice, and the Bible says God counted it to him for righteousness. Why? Because we believe Abel's sacrifice was a picture of the 
future sacrifice that Jesus would make on his behalf. So was it Abel's sacrifice that saved him or was it Jesus' sacrifice that saved him? We would say it's Jesus' sacrifice and Abel's faith was in the future Messiah that would come. But he, he died, Abel died in faith, not having yet received that promise. You think about all those Old Testament believers who died in faith, not having received the promised one, Jesus Christ. Well, then we could consider, how, how about Abraham? What did God promise to him? God promised Abraham and Sarah that he would give them a land. And did he do that? Yes, but they didn't get to fully realize that. I mean, they traveled from one place to another, but they didn't get to fully experience all that that meant to have that land. They said they would give them seed. They would give them a child. Did God do that? Yes, he did. But did they get to see the full outworking of that? I mean, remember God in his promise to Abraham said, I will give you seed that number more in number than the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Did Abraham and Sarah get to see that? They didn't. They died in faith, not having received the promise. How about the promise to Abraham and Sarah that God would give them a blessing? He said, in you will all nations of the earth be blessed. Did they get to experience that? Were they living on this earth when Jesus came? No. Did they fully recognize and understand all of the ramifications of God's promise toward them? No, they didn't. But I believe we would say that Abraham, Sarah, Abel, Enoch, Noah, all of these characters demonstrated faith. Why? Because they trusted in promises that they had not received yet. You know, promises sometimes seem a long way from being fulfilled. Every child knows this when they're looking forward to their birthday, right? And they're saying, when is it going to be my birthday? When is it going to be that special day? I can't wait for my birthday. And, you know, I think the worst day for a child is the day after their birthday because now they have to wait 364 more days until their next birthday. Now, boys and girls, that's going to change a little bit as you get older. And people are like, man, it's great. It's 364 days till my next birthday. I don't have to worry about turning another year older just yet. Promises sometimes seem a long way off. What are some of the promises that God has made to us? Well, He's promised to return. He's promised that He's building a home for us in heaven. He's promised to take care of us. But do you ever feel like some of those promises are a long way off? 2 Peter 3.9 reminds us of this truth, that the Lord is not slack concerning His promise, but is long-suffering to us. We're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. In other words, God will keep His promise. And just because you haven't fully realized the benefit of that promise doesn't mean He's not keeping it. It just means He's patiently waiting for the right time to fulfill that promise in you and in me. Faith is demonstrated by trusting in promises you have not received yet. So we've got Bill over here. And in his relationship with God... He's trusting God's promises and he's willing to keep living for the Lord faithfully even though the Lord hasn't returned yet. You know, Bill's over here. He sees all of the struggles in the world. 
He sees the difficulties around him. He, he sees the, the moral decay and decline. He sees all of the struggle. And he says, but you know what? I'm not going to be upset. I'm not going to lose my joy. I'm going to stay joyful and rejoicing because God is good and God is faithful and God will keep his promises even though we haven't fully realized all of that yet. Bob, on the other hand, though, Bob's really struggling. You know, he's, he's gone to church his whole life. He's tried to do things the right way. He's, he, he's not a mean guy. He's a really nice guy, and he's done the very best that he can. But Bob finds himself discouraged over here because he looks around and he says, things are just getting worse and worse and worse, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it. Why doesn't the Lord just come back right now? And because of his discouragement, because of his lack of faith in the promise that hasn't been fully realized yet, Bob finds himself discouraged. He's not spending time with the Lord like he once did. He goes, oh, I've read the Bible many times before. What, what else is there in it for me? I mean, I know I can pray, but God's going to do what God's going to do anyway. So why should I keep praying? Because, you know, it just, it's going to happen when it's going to happen. And Bob, sadly, even though he still looks like a good Christian, he's still sitting in the right place. I mean, this guy's a really great guy. I mean, he's on stage this morning. But Bob's struggling in his faith because he hasn't, realized all those promises yet he knows them he's read them in his bible he's heard them preached about but because he's not holding on to them because he hasn't realized the fruit of those promises he finds himself discouraged this morning see god doesn't just fulfill promises to make you feel good second peter 3 9 the lord's not slack concerning his promises god fulfills his promises to accomplish his plans for his glory he fulfills promises to accomplish His plan for His glory. Can you patiently wait on God to fulfill His promise in His time? Or do you want it all today? Bob wants it all today. Bill says, I can trust God that He'll give it to me when He's ready. One is somebody, this guy over here, Bill is growing in his faith. It's not easy because you're trusting in things that can be challenging to trust in. You're not holding on to it in your hand. So that's what real faith is, right? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Bob, he's struggling in his faith because Bob is looking at his circumstances. Bob is looking at what's going on around him. And because of that, he's not trusting in the promises of God. Are you willing to live today in the hope of the promise that you haven't received yet? I mean, ultimately, I would hope that that's why we're here this morning in church. It's not because somebody was going to call me if I didn't show up or just because I was assigned to sing or to serve somewhere. No, I hope you're here today in the hope of the promise of Christ's return. James read this morning from the passage, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, how Christ died, He's buried, how He rose again. We're here in celebration of the resurrection, which is a sign of the future promise of our resurrection one day as well. But see, we might be here today, somebody might be here today, like Bob over here, 
just here because, well, I'm supposed to be at church and maybe I'll get something out of it. Bill, on the other hand, he's growing in his faith and he's here because he's looking toward the future promise. He hasn't fully realized all the benefits of that promise, but he believes that God will fulfill it in his time. Faith is demonstrated by trusting in promises you have not received yet. I think I see a sec second way in which faith is demonstrated. Look again at verse number 13. It says, They died in faith not having received the promises. Look at the next phrases. But having seen them afar off. So they did know that those promises were there. They saw them afar off. It says they were persuaded of them and embraced them. They were persuaded of these promises and embraced these promises. Another way to say is they, they greeted these promises. They were familiar with these promises. They were enjoying these promises. I wrote it this way in the notes. Faith is demonstrated by a personal relationship with the promise maker. A promise means a lot more if you know the one who made the promise. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, how many times? And we're sitting here in another election season. We're in promise after promise after promise being made. And we start to doubt. Ah, oh, these people, they won't keep their promise. Why? Because we don't trust the one making the promise. But if you have a relationship with, if you trust, if you know the one making the promises, the promise maker himself, God, our heavenly father, then you can trust that those promises will be fulfilled in his time. But I think for many, like Bob over here, they struggle in their faith because their personal relationship with the promise maker isn't what it should be. They are not persuaded, they're not clinging on to, they're not embracing these promises because their relationship with the promise maker is not what it should be. The Bible says in Proverbs 9 verse 10 through 12, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the holy is understanding. I underlined that phrase in my Bible. The knowledge of the holy is understanding. The more that we know God, the more that we know the one who makes the promises to us, the more that we know the one who wrote the word of God for us to have in our hands, the better we know him, the more we have understanding, discernment, the ability to, to make decisions as we walk through this life and make decisions that are pleasing to the Lord. Do you know the promise maker? Do you know the promise maker? I mean, really know him, a personal relationship with him. What, what do personal relationships require? Well, they require trust, and that requires time, and it requires communication. Trust, which comes from time and communication, so time spent with the one that you want to have a relationship with, and communication with that one that you have a relationship with. Now, you may think about people in your own life that you have relationships with, that you know there may be trust because you've spent a lot of time with this person, you've had a lot of communication with them, but maybe that communication or that time has been stopped for a while. I can think of some people like that in my life, people that I would say are still my friends, even good friends, 
but they're just not people because of whatever distance and life situation that I'm able to stay in close communication with. You know what I'm talking about, right? You wouldn't say those people, you've forgotten about them. No, but is your relationship as close be, as it could be? No, because you're not having regular communication with them. See, I think this is where Bob finds himself. He hasn't forgotten God. He hasn't rejected God. But he finds himself where that relationship with God is not what it once was or not what it could be. He's not fully persuaded. He's not embracing these promises because his relationship with the promise maker is not what it should be. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 says, For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. Listen to what Paul writes. He says, For I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. What have you given to him to keep? Yourself. Your life. Your eternal security. You've given to him to keep it, to hang on to it, to protect it, to hold it. And Paul says, I'm persuaded. I am confident of this fact that he is able to keep that which I've persuaded, uh, that I've given to him, that I've committed to him against that day. And therefore, he says this, hold fast the form of sound words. Hey, Timothy, you got to hold on to truth. Hold fast to the form of sound words, which thou heard of me in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost, which dwelleth in us. Paul, in his last letter to Timothy, his son in the faith, he's challenging Timothy. Timothy, you have to walk in a close relationship with your heavenly Father. Because Paul says, I'm persuaded he's able to keep what you give to him. Are you persuaded of that this morning? God doesn't lose his kids. No man can pluck you out of the Father's hand. All that give it to me... Jesus said, um, all that the Father giveth to me, I will in no wise cast out. Right? He says, I and my Father are one. He's got us in his hand. And Paul says, I'm persuaded of that. And because that's true, he said, Timothy, the good thing that's given to you, keep it. Keep it. Hey, Timothy, you've been called to the ministry. Don't forget that. Timothy, God's given you a work to accomplish. Hang on to that. You say, well, how do I do that? Are you strong enough? No, he tells him how. He says, keep by the Holy Ghost, which dwelleth in us. Isn't it encouraging to know that the same God who keeps us is the same one who dwells inside of us and helps us to keep that which he's entrusted to us? We don't hang on to our relationship with God in our own strength. You can't. You hang on to your relationship with the Lord in his strength the strength that the Holy Spirit gives to you. The de faith is demonstrated by a personal relationship with the promise maker. And again, we're, we're doing a lot of picking on, on Bill and Bob this morning. I'd say, Bob, he's struggling here 
with his relationship with the promise maker, which is why he's doubting whether or not these promises really will come to pass. He's struggling in his walk with God. Bill, on the other hand, he, he doesn't always understand everything. He, he can't figure out all that's taking place in the world. He doesn't know every little detail. But what he does know, he knows the one who's in charge of it all. He talks with him every day. He reads his word. He reminds himself of his promises. He is consistently asking God to help him with the things that he doesn't understand. And he's believing God's promise that God hears and answers prayer. So he's taking it all to the Lord in prayer and trusting that God will answer those things in his time and in his way. Boy, the faith of Bill and faith of Bob are very different faiths. And I wonder if we might find ourselves more over here with Bill this morning, or maybe you find yourself over here with Bob. Because circumstances come, right? Things happen. Life gets busy. Life gets crazy. Something unexpected takes place. And all of a sudden, our eyes are taken off of our Father and they're put on our circumstances. Like Peter, when he walked out of that boat in the storm, he took his eyes off of Jesus and he got his eyes on the waves. And what did he do? He began to sink. He began to sink. See, we're not here to beat up on Bob this morning. Because if we're honest, a lot of us are sitting over here with Bob. Or even if you're not sitting here today, you have sat here before. You know Bob. He's probably your friend. If you look in the mirror, he might look a whole lot like you. We desire to be over here with Bill, but this is not something that can be done in our own strength. This is something that must be done as we submit our lives to the Lord and as we come back to His Word. You say, well, how do you do that? I don't know about you, but there are times that I've gone through in my life where I've struggled even with Little things like reading my Bible and prayer. So what do I do? Well, I start by opening my Bible to a book like Psalms that is full of the promises and faithfulness of God. And I just begin to read familiar verses like, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. What a promise. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for Thou art with me. Thy rod and Thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And you read those verses and you cry out to God and say, God, I need you. Lord, I need your comfort. I need your presence in my life. Then you might flip over to Psalm 119 where he says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? You find yourself caught up in sin. Straying away from the Lord, how am I going to get right? He says, by taking heed thereto according to thy word. With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts 
above. God, we need you to hold on to us so that we can hold on to you. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, in whom ye also trusted. After that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. That sealing means he put his stamp upon you and he said, this is my child. If we don't have our identity in Christ this morning, if we don't know who we belong to, if you don't have a relationship with the promise maker, it'll be really hard. I'll say it this way. It'll be impossible for you to be able to walk by faith in the way that God wants you to walk. A knowledge of who God is and what His Word says and a willingness to walk in the Spirit are evidences of faith in a person's life. So we're looking at our faith scorecard. We want to live by faith. So how are we doing? How do we do when we don't have it in our hands, when we don't have it all figured out? Do you find yourself frustrated and discouraged and shut down? Well, hey, there's a lot of areas to grow in your faith then. Say, Lord, I don't have the promise yet, but I'm trusting in your promise. How's your relationship with the promise maker? How's your relationship with God this morning? I don't know about you, but every time I go through difficult things, all you have to do is look at your life and you realize it seems like many times you go through difficult things, that's where the biggest temptation is to just then step away from the Lord. And probably the second biggest temptation is when you go through really good times and it's easy and everything's good and you don't have to worry about anything. And then you find yourself, is it just me or do we always have to keep our eyes on the Lord and not rely on ourselves? It's a little song that I hadn't thought of in a long time, but as I was preparing this message, this song came to mind. You might know the chorus, but the verse says this, Since I started for the kingdom, since my life He controls, since I gave my heart to Jesus, the longer I serve Him, the sweeter He grows. The longer I serve Him, the sweeter He grows. The more that I love Him, more love He bestows. Each day is like heaven, my heart overflows. The longer I serve Him, the sweeter He grows. It is true. The closer you get in this relationship, and this is what we want Bob to understand. The closer he gets to the Lord, the more he casts aside his own ways and his own thinking, and the more he goes back to the Word of God and says, Lord, I need you, the sweeter it grows. Bob, you don't have to do this in your own strength. God's faithful. He's good. Bill is learning some of these things. He's walking with the Lord. He's spending time in His Word. But you know what? Even if you find yourself over here with Bill this morning, we all need this reminder because it's not that big of a distance between Bill and Bob sometimes, is it? We find ourselves slipping right back over here. So we've seen that faith is demonstrated 
by trusting in promises that you haven't received yet. Faith is demonstrated by a personal relationship with the promise maker. Let me give you the last point this morning. Faith is demonstrated by laying aside earthly things. Laying aside earthly things. Go back with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Look at the end of verse 13. He says, And they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. They confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. Now in the context here, this fits really well with Abraham and Sarah leaving their homeland in Ur of the Chaldees and traveling to this promised land. But here the, the author, I believe, is broadening out the perspective and he's not just talking about Abraham and Sarah. Yes, they sought a different country, but he's about to talk about every single one of us. Look at the next verse. Verse 15, And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned, but now they desire a better country that is in heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He hath prepared for them a city. All you have to do is look down at the very next chapter, Hebrews chapter 12. Talks about these people and they're longing for another kingdom, and because of that, the way we should be living as well. Verse 1 Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, that's all these people who've gone before us by faith. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. I want to give you three thoughts about this pilgrim, this person. He says we're pilgrims and strangers and pilgrims on the earth. First of all, a pilgrim in this world is not holding on to the past. Think about it. When those pioneers set off across the United States in their covered wagons, they couldn't take much with them. They might have grandma's rocking chair. They might have a couple of photos. But other than that, they couldn't hold on to the past. They were focused on the future, on what was ahead. You think about the pilgrims as we know them who came to this country seeking religious freedom. They couldn't carry much with them. They were packed into a little ship. They had to leave most of it all behind. Why? Because they were looking for a better country. They were looking for a different place. A place where they might have freedom to worship God and to follow Him. And I'm thankful for their desire to seek that freedom. And I'm thankful for the freedom that we enjoy today due in part to people like the pilgrims who came to this country looking for spiritual freedom but you know true spiritual freedom won't be fully enjoyed and realized until we reach an even better country someday a heavenly country this world is not our home we're just passing through our treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue see the pilgrim in this world is not holding on to the past 
Think about Abraham and Sarah. They had to leave all those past relationships behind. They had to leave a lot of the uh, things that they would have had, the connections, the traditions, the, all of the understanding and the memories. They had to leave a lot of those things behind. For the Christian who's walking by faith, we have to be willing to lay aside the earthly things. There's a lot of stuff that's really important to us, but it's not really important to God. And it doesn't mean that God hasn't given us some things that we can enjoy in this life. But let us not hang on to the things of this world so much that they keep us from walking with God. Faith is demonstrated by laying aside earthly things. Let's talk to Bill again. Bill, I've begun to notice a pattern in your life that you're willing to give. You're willing to serve. You're willing to minister to others because you've realized what's in this life you can't keep with you. The way to lay up treasure in heaven is to serve God and minister to people. Because people are the only thing on this earth that's going to go to heaven someday. Your car won't go to heaven. In fact, it'll probably end up in the junk heap long before you go. Your land, your house, all those things are wonderful things that we enjoy here in this life. But we need to be careful that we don't let those things tie us down. Bob over here is struggling with that. He just keeps getting tied down with more stuff. Somebody once said, everything that you own actually owns you. I don't know if you feel that. But it does feel that way sometimes, doesn't it? I don't think what he's saying here, and I don't think the example in Scripture is that you just sell everything that you have and live as a nomad or, or a gypsy and just travel and don't, don't have anything connected you anywhere. No, the Scripture does not teach that at all. In fact... God even told His people when they were in captivity in Babylon that they were supposed to build houses, that they were supposed to give their children in marriage, they were supposed to start families, they were supposed to grow. God's put us here in this earth to live here, to take care of it, to manage it, to subdue it, all of those things. But our pursuit needs to be on the Lord. A pilgrim is in this world is not holding on to the past. A pilgrim in this world, I would say secondly, is not deterred by the present. They're not deterred by the present. And we see this example in all of these people that we've studied so far by faith. They faced all kinds of things in the present, but those things could not keep them from pursuing what God had for them. Now, for a time... Abraham and Sarah got deterred by the present. What was the present? The fact that they were old and wouldn't be able to have kids. That got them off the path for a while, didn't it? And they suffered great consequences for it. But a pilgrim in this world is not deterred by the present. And finally this morning, a pilgrim in this world is focused on a better country. You probably could guess that one already in your notes. They're looking towards a heavenly country. I think it's so interesting in our text. It says in verse 15, Truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. What does he mean by this? 
If Abraham and Sarah left Ur of the Chaldees and they're out here, all right, God, we're going to trust you. But then, then Abraham said, man, I sure miss Ur. Things were a lot better in Ur. You know somebody who did do that? It was the descendants of Abraham known as the children of Israel. And what happened when they got out in the wilderness? Boy, look at what God did and look how he split the Red Sea and walked through on dry ground. What a great God we serve. And then they got out in the wilderness and they say, boy, things were a lot better back in Egypt. Oh, we had all the good food in Egypt. We had water to drink. Hey, you forgot about the part about slavery and the part that you were getting beaten. Yeah, but it was better in Egypt. It was better in Egypt. Why? Because they hadn't fully grasped. They hadn't fully held the promise of that new land. They were looking for a better country, but they weren't there yet. And so they got really mindful. They started spending a lot of time thinking about the country they'd come from. And what happened when they did that? They murmured, they complained, and they turned away from God. They're not that much different than we are. See, a pilgrim has to stay focused on a better country because what happens if you're mindful of the country that you've come out of, then you might just have the opportunity to return to that country. In other words, the more time you spend thinking about where you'd really like to go, that's where you might end up at some point. I remember when I was learning to drive and going down the street, and my dad would say, look out in the distance where you want to drive to and drive to that point. That's how you drive in a straight line. When you're first learning how to drive, if you're looking out the windows here at the side all the time, what do you do? You're swerving all over the road because people tend to drive where they look. As a free driving lesson for somebody this morning. You don't even have to pay for that. People tend to drive where they look. You know, that's true spiritually too, isn't it? We tend to drive where we look. If we're looking to the Lord, that's where we go. If we're looking to His Word, that's where we go. But if we look at ourselves, if we look at the distractions around us, that's where we end up. Verse 16, now they desire a better country. That is in heavenly, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He hath prepared for them a city. That statement, I'm still meditating on that one, that God is not ashamed to be their God. So when I have been thinking through this statement, when you draw it back through the verse and think about what kind of person's God, God is not ashamed to be their God, it's, it's a pilgrim who's focused on a better country. It's a person who is embracing the promise. It's a person who trusts in the promise even though they haven't fully seen it yet. That's the person that God is not ashamed to be their God. And that's the person that He is preparing for them a city. It's for those who walk by faith. Now I know that my sins are forgiven. I know that they've been washed away. They've been put as far as the east is from the West, but I don't want to live in such a way that would give God any reason to be ashamed of me. Philippians 3.20 says, Our conversations in heaven 
from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation 21.2, And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I like Jesus' words in John chapter 14. He said in verse 2, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. The demonstration of faith. How's Bill's faith? Well, it's not perfect because nobody is. But Bill is trusting, even in promises that he hasn't fully reaped their blessings of yet. Bill has a relationship, a growing relationship with the one who made the promises to him. And Bill is laying aside earthly things. He realizes he's a pilgrim in this world. A stranger and pilgrim, an alien. He, he's not, he, he, he doesn't live here anymore. His home is in heaven. He's just not there yet. He's willing to lay aside those earthly things. Bill's somebody who's growing in his faith. Bob, we need to pray for Bob. Bob needs to make some changes in his life. He's frustrated and discouraged because the promises don't seem as real to him anymore because he hasn't seen them come through. It's like you're being promised that somebody's going to give you something and someone's going to give you something and they never give it to you and you think, well, then they must not keep their promise. Sometimes that's how it feels when you're walking with the Lord. God's promised to do this for me. He's promised to do that for me, but I don't have it yet. He's not slack with his promises. He will keep his promise, but he will keep it in his time. These died in faith, not having received the promise. So have you thought about that? God keeping his promise may be after you're alive on this earth. You may have died by the time he fulfills that promise. But that doesn't mean he didn't fulfill his promise. You say, well, that's silly. That's dumb. We're going to have to die. Hey, wait a minute. You just forgot. He's preparing a home for you in heaven. Death here in this earth is not the end. It's just a passing over. It's the beginning of the rest of eternity. And it's the best part of your life. Your best life is not now. It's over there. Your best life's not on this earth, it's in heaven with Him. He's preparing a place for you. This morning, I've tried to take just stock of my own life. This week, as I've prepared for this, I've tried to ask myself, you know, if I'm honest, where am I at? Am I over here? walking by faith, or am I struggling? And it's interesting. If your graph looks like mine, if your report card looks like mine, it's not like this nice, clean, straight line. It's more like, like this. Like, well, that was good, not so good. Good, not so good. You say, what's wrong? Well, it's not God. He's been faithful 
So what's wrong with me? Well, I've realized that there are times that I take my eyes off of him and I get them on the things of this world. There are times that I just try to do it in my own strength. I think, well, I'll just try harder. I'll just be better. Just preach better. Just love more. No. The bootstrap Christianity doesn't work. Ugh. It doesn't work. We walk by faith and not by sight. The demonstration of faith. Lord, as we think about this truth this morning, I pray that you drive it deep into our hearts. I pray that each person would be willing and open to examine themselves before you in light of a holy God and ask themselves, where am I at? What am I doing? Lord, am I walking by faith at all? Lord, I pray that many would realize this morning that it is not through their strength that they're going to be able to do this. In fact, they probably need to lay some things down this morning. Lay some burdens down. Lay some sin down. Confess it to you. You need to lay aside the weights, the distractions, the pursuits that are not pursuing you. Lord, this morning would you do, our, do your work in our hearts. May we rest in you and walk by faith. It's in Jesus' name I pray.